The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear a brilliant marketer talk through the strategy, framework, and tactics used to elevate their brands to new heights. Ready to hear untold stories behind the brands you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the Rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. All right, welcome to the Rebrand Podcast. As you guys know, we tell untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers, entrepreneurs, CEOs who build them. Today, I have a special guest, a friend of mine. You're probably, if any of you are in the golf space or even heard of the golf space, you've heard of this brand, Bad Birdies, which has taken the golf business by storm. I'm excited to have the CEO of that company on today. Um, as you know, I'm Scott Harkey, the founder of the Harkey Group. And today we're going to talk about the effective strategies and approaches to market golf to a younger generation. Joining us is Jason Richardson, who's the CEO at Bad Birdie, which is a modern day golf apparel brand ushering in a new generation of players who prioritize a good game and a better time without compromising performance. All right, today Jason and I are going to discuss Marketing golf to a younger demographic. As we know as marketers, as entrepreneurs, the holy grail of starting a trend, of starting culture, of starting a movement, of building a lifestyle brand is all about younger demographics. They're what really kind of change what's cool and what's not. So I'm super excited to have Jason on with us to see how he did it. He's got a super interesting background, which we'll get into, but kind of came from LA. He actually lives in Phoenix now, which where I'm from. So we're going to have a great conversation with Jason Richardson, the CEO of Bad Birdie. What's up, brother? What's up, Scott? Thanks for having me, dude. Super pumped to be here. This is fun. I mean, typically, you know, I get a lot of PR people and a lot of national people reaching out to be on the show that are heavily marketing focused. But I've known you, you know, you're in a home market. I love what you've done with the brand. Uh, you've got such a great marketing mind. And so this one's going to be probably a little different than most interviews on the show because I, I, I know a lot of the background of your company and I know a little bit more about you personally. But for our audience out there, tell us like how you got going in this industry and how you had this idea to get in this crazy apparel industry and in the golf industry. And you definitely have a marketing production background. So I'd love to hear maybe your background and like how you decided to found this, you know, you know, golf brand that's just taken really the, the golf world by storm. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how I tell that story in a, in a fun <laughs> way. So I got to, I'll start when I graduated college. That's when my career really started. Graduated with a marketing degree. Um, I started working in a small agency that was doing content and creation and ended up into this role where I was a staff producer and at the age of 25, as that career progresses, the kind of the next step is to go freelance. It's more lucrative, more control and more to get the bigger projects when you're freelance. So I did that and I learned a ton about production, problem solving, and also dealing with like high-end creatives from creative directors and ADs and copywriters from big agencies and doing really cool brand work. And during that time, I started playing a lot of golf. I didn't play a lot of golf growing up, even though I grew around it being in, I grew up in Arizona. And downtime, because I was freelance, I had a lot of time playing golf with my buddies and I always wanted to start a business. My idea was let me start a side hustle that I can run on the side, do at nights, kind of a hobby that we'll see where it goes. And so 
I was playing a lot of golf and I got invited to a golf tournament where I had to go buy a new golf polo. And I went to a golf shop and I walked out with a red Nike polo. And I was like, okay, this is great because it's Tiger, right? I love Tiger. But on the same side, I had this like epiphany that every single golf polo at the time was primarily solid colors or stripes. And so give it a couple of weeks. I just kept sticking in my mind and I'm always listening to the entrepreneur podcast and things. I'm like, what's that idea I just want to go for? And so I had this idea. Why don't I try to figure out how to put prints on golf polos? I had seen a lot of this happening on in swim and just like button down t-shirts. You go walk the mall or in a shopping center. It's like very common, but why is that not in golf? Golf is very traditional historically. It's very exclusive and there was just no one doing that in space. So had that idea in November and I was like, hey, let me see if I can start this. I lived in LA. I hit up every resource I had and tried to figure out how to make golf polo. I had no understanding of apparel. What she had no understanding of apparel whatsoever, but I did have a buddy who had started a, a clothing brand on the side. I feel like being in LA, a lot of people had clothing brands on the side. And so he's like, all right, this is what you need. You need to find fabric. You need to find a pattern maker who can help design it for you. And then you need to find someone who can do the cut and sew and manufacture it. So in a matter of six months, I walked the streets of the garment district in LA. I met and asked as many people as I possibly could. I picked up fabric in my Prius. I drove it to someone called a sublimator who ends up printing prints on a fabric and I found someone to cut and sew. And through this being in an LA environment where there is a micro apparel industry there, I was able to figure that out. And then I launched with 10 designs, I think 10 or 12 designs in a total 100 polos May. So basically in six months, I figured it out. I was like, this is going to be a great side hobby, a great fun um, thing to do that ultimately, worst case, I'm going to have some polos for me and my buddies to wear. And that is the really quick two minute inception story of how, how Bad Birdie started. I'll pause there. So could you give our listeners kind of an idea of the size and scale you are today without obviously, you know, talking specific, you know, numbers that you can't share as a private company? But Yeah, totally. So yeah, we started that time with 100 polos. I mean, now we are selling six figures of, of product a month volume. And so I think for us, yeah, the, the company has blown up. And so basically the story of Bad Birdie is fun side hustle idea. Now, arguably the fastest growing golf brand in America. And yeah, so it's a whole journey over the last six years. It's been six, and that's been a six-year journey. Yeah, six-year journey, yeah. Were, were there some aha moments? I mean, obviously, you you nailed it, and you hit a product need in an industry that, to your point, was a little old school and a little exclusive and a little traditional, and there was certainly a younger demographic in golf that you know wanted to express their personality and to be who they are and not have to wear like this dorky tucked in polo that didn't fit them. And so you've certainly exploded on the product side, but is there anything from a consumer insight standpoint or were there some things that have worked? I mean, I love the content you've put out, like just, I mean, recently yeah. with some of the, you know, your production background, your marketing background, you can tell because it, it bleeds through the company. I mean, I think you had like a, a billboard, like next to Augusta, you know, you were talking to me about as the masters are going on. Are there some Things that you follow from a marketing side of things or from a consumer insight things that like, are there, do you have like the go-to strategies for that as an entrepreneur? Like you know, yeah. your marketing playbook, if you will. Yeah, that's a good question. So I think first and foremost is like what consumer trends did we figure out? And I think luckily there is a wave that was going in golf and I just got lucky and caught at the right time. I think hard work and grit helped us kind of keep riding that wave and, and be able to and ride that. But we, we just tied the market perfectly where golf was becoming more inclusive, less exclusive, more creative, less traditional, more about the recreation fun aspect of the sport versus like you have to dress in 
look a certain way to play the game. And so with that, we've built everything around that core value. And so this core value of like, let's go build a recreational golf brand focusing on the fun side. Historically, brands focus on performance or tradition. So I'm going to, you're going to buy this product. It's going to make you shoot. You're going to help play a better game, shoot lower scores. Or the nostalgia and the tradition of, of, of the sport is what we are going to tie back to. So we're like, let's build every single thing we do around, let's make golf fun for anyone who wants to play and make it more inclusive and just do it in the most creative way. And so our playback really kind of focuses on those core values. So we developed core values early on and have basically those are our guiding light in everything that we do. So if we want to come up with a video idea, we're like, okay, well, does that hit our core values? Is this really creative? Is it about having fun on the course? And is it really inclusive? Okay, do we want to do a billboard at Augusta? Well, how, how are we going to go do that and make creative that sits that way? And so when it comes to like marketing strategy, I mean, you can look up online and find there's tons of different marketing strategies, direct mail, email, billboard, the list is endless. But the thing that's different about the strategy in my mind is the core value and that and how that ties to the market. And for us, our consumers are aligned with that. And so I think the way I think about it is you have to have that product, you have to have that core value fit with your consumer base. And they don't necessarily, we don't like necessarily speak those three core values to our customers, but that's everything we build around. So that influences everything. It's kind of like the why of what we do, what we do. I love that. And, and I know a lot of marketers talk about, and I've heard it was anything from like, what is your purpose to what are your values to now I hear a lot about, you know, what's your North star. And, and a lot of times it's marketing speak, but it sounds like what I'm hearing is you don't get caught up in the marketing tactics at all. You get caught up in, are you doing something that aligns with the fun brand and anything we do has to be fun yeah. and creative. And that's kind of your measuring stick. And so any tactic is wide open, like a billboard, who wants to talk about a billboard tactic? Like that's just a tactic, but yeah. as long as the execution and creative and vibe is having fun on the golf course, like it doesn't matter what the tactic is, email, billboard, Instagram, video, whatever it is. Yeah. And there's like, I mean, tactically I, I'm aware of it. Right. And I, I've run all of that in the company until we've been able to build out a team, but I don't think, and someone may disagree with me on this, but I would say 80% of marketing, like tactical marketing, like let's just take buying media. It's generally the same thing. There's not like some secret lever that someone secretly in a cave knows that's pulling. Like if they do, someone's going to find it out in the way that, you know, you just got to be on LinkedIn. People will share their hack on a weekly basis and Hey, try this, try this new funnel, try these new tactics. Now, getting to that spot where you understand that from nothing to there, it takes time and understanding, right? So like if I'm trying to get my business from zero to a million dollars, I'm going to use a different market strategy from 10 to 100 million. And so there is like a natural kind of understanding through that process. But I think overall, the tactical side, I mean, that stuff can be a little bit commoditized sometimes. 80% of it can, right? There are that, there's that 20% that's the strategy and thinking through it. But like email flows, I mean, go Google email flows and you'll find the 20 best email flows that every single brand should be using. Mm -hmm. Like there's not, it's not a crazy, it's, it's not a crazy science. And maybe I'm like undervaluing it and I hope I'm not doing that, but that's the way I view it. I love that. Is there something though, in terms of tactics that are like, oh, go yeah. is, it, is it video or is it influencers? Is it sponsor? Yeah. Yeah. So tactically for us, so our main wins, we built the business, the easiest conversion for us was Facebook ads early days. We started running Facebook ads. I did personally about a year in and then from Google, excuse me, from Facebook, you know, you're buying across or meta now you're buying Facebook, Instagram. And then on top of that, you can be buying Google, I think is kind of the next layer. And so Google, you can do shopping, keyword search, but primarily shopping and, and just buying those top couple spots. Then from there, email. So we have a really robust email. We use Klaviyo. And you have everything from a welcome series to when people are abandoning cart to when people have visited the site to, and that's, that's just a segmentation 
figuring out the customer journey and trigger points. Uh, after email, you have to have SMS. And so SMS is just that other direct point where you can have access to someone. Now we have an app. An app actually adds, you know, you basically get free push notifications as long as notifications are on at zero cost and zero restrictions because you have a ton of compliance stuff you have to follow on email and SMS. And then what else? We buy billboard. We buy some billboards. We bought some from Harky Media. <laughs> You're like, dude, that's your billboard on our billboard? I'm like, oh, apparently it is. <laughs> or we bought Bad Birdie was on your billboard. I, I didn't know. You didn't know. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah. So for this show's clarification, my side hustle is billboards. I build and zone and develop some billboard locations and then have a, a buddy of mine from out front who runs that business. And Jason, are like, hey, I think, I think I saw your ad on my billboard. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, I guess. So, and it's just funny because he's such a progressive guy. And then all of a sudden there's a lot of other people who'd be like, billboards are so old school, but you've kind of made it, you've kind of made it fun in your own way. And I, I think billboards personally are undervalued because it's the lowest cost per thousand out there. And when you're at the right brand life cycle, when you want a ton of eyeballs and you want kind of that water cooler talk and you want that yep. subliminal okay. messaging, it's constantly out there working seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 30 plus days a month. I, I love billboards as a small supplement. I call it a media multiplier, right? It takes a message yep. that you're doing on Instagram and in store and it's multiplying it at, at an inexpensive cost per thousand for the right brands. And it was, I, I was crazy to see that, you know, you were embracing that as, you know, a real straight up e-commerce brand to start. And now I'd love to know, like, you know, you started as, as an e-commerce brand and now you're, you're everywhere, right? You're in major retailers. And now like, how has that transition been from all e-commerce, you know, heavy, like cult following to like massive scale and broad appeal? That's my first question. The second question is at the PGA show, like now you have a ton of copycats too. Like what's that like as raising and then now seeing a lot of people I don't want to say rip off kind of your brand, but kind of rip off your brand. So those are the two questions yeah. that you are now I'm curious about. Yeah, those are great questions. So when I started it, definitely the story was e-com, direct to consumer all the way. And the reason behind that was because of how cheap it was to acquire customers through platforms like Facebook. So the massive kind of gold rush to being like, you could create a website on Shopify, you could build these amazing email flows and you could just buy customers for nothing or like in a very good acquisition CPA or CAC. And so you would buy them and then guess what? That news quickly spreads and so then everyone starts doing it. So you had maybe, you have tons of people coming in and saying, wait a second, now I'm competing with instead of one brand, I'm competing with 10 brands. And that, well, that, this ties into the knockoff side, which we'll talk about. But if someone says, hey, I can go sell this product and be making X amount and it's not that hard, like everyone's gonna go chase into it. So then everyone rushed into it and then security updates change, privacy and security laws change and or like just all these things change where like historically like Facebook would track you everywhere and they could just sell every single thing about you and then like iPhone has made these changes and all these things it's really hard to get the same access to consumers that you could five six years ago so during that time as it got harder and harder to acquire customers the shift from direct to consumer got a little bit more difficult than it historically was and so brands were, wait a second, I have to lose money on the first purchase to buy this customer. This isn't working. The idea was like, hey, it's actually going to get cheaper as you scale your, your customer acquisition costs. And there is some truth to that, but there was a certain point where like that does plateau. And so for us, the first couple of years is like, I'm never going to sell to a wholesale partner. But then you get a call from someone and they're like, hey, we want to put you in 20 retail chains. Our first retail partner was Shields, their Midwest Sporting Goods Store, they're amazing. They're actually coming out to Chandler here in Arizona. Phoenix oh, Sarah. that's cool. 
they're amazing. They're like, I, I always, they're like the Chick-fil-A of like sporting goods in my mind. So like really good quality, really nice people. The operating model they have is like, they're the nicest, like they're based out of Fargo, North Dakota, <laughs> small town, amazing. It's, it's like one of our favorite customers. And I, I, like every Arizona, and I have a bias towards loving Midwesterners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but every one of my friends is like from the Midwest somewhere. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, so they came in and said, hey, we want to put you in 20 doors. We want to test you. And the product sold amazingly. And then I realized, wait a second, those customers are then coming to our website to buy. And then because they're buying on our website, they're also helping support Shields. And so really just started with a test and started to realize, wait a second, like selling to other wholesale partners is actually a great co-marketing to kind of build the ecosystem around Bad Birdie and have people have access points. I also got this data point at a PGA show that 80% of golf apparel is sold in retail doors, primarily in green grass doors. So if I'm like, hey, I want to be a relevant brand and I want to reach this broader audience, the data shows that I have to be in, in wholesale. Until I knew that data, I'm like, well, the numbers are going to speak for itself. I don't care how sexy direct to consumer is, like we have to go sell there. And so the downside to wholesale for listeners is you're selling stuff at a discounted price because they need to make their margins. They're still going to sell a polo for $78 and I am. Now, I am going to deduct the customer acquisition cost and my gross margin is going to be X amount. But if I actually, because of those CACs have gone up, it's actually very similar to the cost it is to sell to a wholesale customer. And so at the end of the day, selling to pro shops, selling to big retailers has actually helped grow our brand. And it also reached different customers. Someone who's going to go buy off an Instagram ad is probably different from someone who's going to buy a Nordstrom, who's probably someone who's going to be different that's going to buy a TPC Scottsdale. So generally speaking, it's selling into those channels has been great. And then to answer your other question is, as soon as we, as our company started growing and people started following us, we got a ton of knockoffs. And I think the reality of it is we, we did create a segment people try to follow. And I think it's, it's frustrating, but at the same time, you know, what is it? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I get to wake <laughs> up every day and be setting the pace ahead, right? I think a lot of those companies are, are waking up and saying, hey, what's Bad Birdie doing every day? Let's follow what they do. And they're really in second place at all times. And that's great. There's a ton of companies that have built really big businesses off of that. But I think for me and the way what our team's trying to do, we are innovators. We're at the forefront and it's, it's a different game we're playing. And I think a lot of those competitors too have come in at a lower cost option. And for some of the market, that is what's needed, right? But for us, we still are that premium apparel brand in golf that is the leader, that is the disruptive creative, you know, recreational brand in the space. So I don't know. It is what it is, man. It sucks. Like, it's just annoying. It's more so just like flies biting at your feet kind of thing. Like, it's just like, mm -hmm. why do people have something better to do every day? But the reality of it is it's, it's a free market economy. It's what capitalism, like people can go create businesses and more competition is better. So I don't know. I like to win and we are still. So I love it. I love it. So here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tease you out and we're going to bring you back for another quick episode a ton of questions, you know, I, I want to tease you out with like, how much can you balance doing the marketing side of the business as an entrepreneur, as you've scaled and as you're, you know, the CEO of the company, how much can you still play in marketing? How much do you still play in marketing with all the other things on your plate? So I want to dive into that and what it's like to be a young, you know, scaling entrepreneur, some of the other challenges you're facing, and then maybe even some of the other marketing opportunities that you see. So here's what I'm going to do, uh, rebrand audience. We're going to, we're going to tease that out. We're going to bring Jason right back tomorrow like we do when we have some great guests. We want to bring him back for a dose episode. 
So we're going to wrap it up right there. Big thanks to Jason Richardson, CEO of Bad Birdie, for joining us. In part two of this interview, we're going to talk about Bad Birdie's amateur collection. We're also going to talk about all the other stuff that I talked about. I mean, you know how these titles go. We, we, we push them out. We want to touch on them. But we, we want to see where it's flowing and we want to see what we can learn. I know we can learn a lot from Jason. I know I have as a marketer. So if you can't wait till next episode and you want to learn more, obviously it's badbirdie.com. We'll put Jason's LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can find all that at rebrandpod.com. You can find me personally just at Scott Harkey, LinkedIn, and probably Instagram. I'm most active, but we're everywhere. We're still bringing up that rebrand pod audience, but right now our main point of entry is subscribers. So I think we have about 7,000 subscribers to our podcast, which is awesome. Thank you guys so much for the support. We're building this marketing community every day. Remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. 